So there's something I just want to get out there, uh, that I've got this pet peeve. I'm like you. I'm a normal person. There are certain things that bother me, and one of my pet peeves is that I don't like being late to movies. Remember movies? Remember we, when we could go to movies? Remember those days? When you could be late for a movie? Uh, I don't like being late for movies. I like to be early for movies, not just on time, to be early, because being early for a movie means something special, at least to me. What, what's a good thing about being early to a movie? Go ahead. Popcorn? A good seat? Which is even easier now because you're going to reserve your seat online before you ever show up. I heard somebody say, previews. Who was that? Me too. I like previews. Previews are good, and previews are great because in just two minutes or less, we get introduced to a number of things about a movie that's coming out soon. You know, we get to meet the characters, and we are introduced to the world in which the uh, movie takes place, the setting, and we get a glimpse of the plot just enough to get us to come back and to watch it. I love movie trailers. I love previews. And what we have in Mark chapter 1 this morning is a sneak preview of the coming rule and reign of Jesus Christ the King. Several weeks ago, we started back at the beginning of Mark chapter 1 where Jesus announces his ministry and he says, my kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he goes on preaching and he goes on casting out demons and healing people, performing miracles. And it is the miracles of Jesus that close chapter 1 that I'd like to zoom into today because we see a number of things about the coming kingdom of God, but moreover, Jesus himself. We'll see over the next few minutes how the the, the miracles of Jesus are a lot like a movie trailer, a preview. But, but underneath the surface, they show us a number of things. The, the setting in which they take place and the characters and the plot. That's what we're going to do over the next few minutes. To take a look at each of these three things. Setting, characters, and plot. And then we'll, we'll pull over and ask the important question. What about now? What about the things that we're longing for and praying for? How is he at work in the present even when his ways seem hidden? So first to the setting. Now, have you ever noticed that it seems like all kinds of movie trailers are voiced over by one guy? Do you remember that guy? You know, in a world where darkness reigns, that guy. Well, that guy has a name. His name is Don LaFontaine, and he died a couple of years ago, and he is responsible for the voiceover on thousands and thousands and thousands of movie trailers. You can look them up. And I want to show you a clip of clips, uh, just pretty short, a uh, number of voiceovers that he did for a number of movie trailers. Kind of fun. Uh, I'll show you real quick. Let's just take a look. In a world, in the year 2017, in a time of tradition, in a city where anything can happen, in a war that isn't his, every day in New York City, on the Miami Police Force, in the deep south, from the sewers of Gotham, from the rooftops of Gotham, above Gotham, <laughs> within this skyscraper high above the city, in a town driven by competition. Uh, there it is. 
exert there, I mean, no, the, in the sewers of Gotham, in the streets of Gotham, high above Gotham. A good movie trailer sets up at the very beginning the setting in which the story takes place. And I've always thought for my entire life, until just recently, that the miracles of Jesus are acts of compassion that he does for someone who lives in this broken world. You know, we heard in our reading today in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus goes to Simon's house. Remember, that's Peter. You know, we don't often think of the disciples as normal guys, but we know that Peter, because he has a mother-in-law, that means what about him? That he's, he's married. And he goes to Simon Peter's house, and his mother-in-law is there. The, the word for house in Greek is oikos, and there were a number of family members and extended family members, perhaps even generations, that would live together as a big family. And he goes to Peter's house, and his mother-in-law has a fever, which was a big deal then, you know, perhaps even life-threatening. Not as much as a big deal now until recently. Maybe you've done what I've done. Sometimes you kind of feel your head, and you kind of cough, and, do I, and you kind of go to the COVID website, and you start, like, checking off the symptoms that you have. Do I have that one? Okay, not that one. Okay, I'm good. To have a fever then was a big deal. What does Jesus do? He's a nice guy. He's got the time. He's got the power. He heals her. Walking along the road, bumps into a leper. He's got the time. He's got the power. What does he do? He heals the leper. We fast forward into Mark chapter 6. Jesus gets off the boat. He greets the crowd that's waiting for him on the shore, and he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and two fish. It says about Jesus when he gets off the boat that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And this, for my entire life, I've always thought was simply what Jesus is up to, that he's performing an act of compassion for people who live in a broken world. The setting in which the miracles of Jesus take place. But there's so much more than that. Let's go from setting to the characters, heroes and villains. I mean, because good movie trailers show us who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. By the way, Super Bowl Sunday, Broncos fans, who are we cheering for today? It's a tough choice. I mean, do we cheer for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs who we're not supposed to like because they're a division rival? Or are we cheering for... Tom Brady or against him, who we've been, you know, conditioned to cheer against in the AFC for these last few years. It's a tough choice if you're a Broncos fan today. Me and my house, my wife grew up in Tampa. We met there. I lived there for seven years, so we're cheering for the Bucks today. Go Bucks. Fire the cannons. I don't know. I guess that's the thing she's told me that they say over there in Florida. But. Uh, Jackie and I, last month, we started a reading plan going through the Bible for a whole year. And before you think I'm super spiritual, this is just something that pastors do with their wives. We've never done anything like this before. It's neat because it gives us something to talk about because we're reading the same chapters every day. And just this last week, we've been in the book of Exodus. And as you may remember, in the opening chapters of Exodus, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says to him, let my people go, and Pharaoh refuses. And so God is uh, performing signs or plagues, as we call them, to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelite people go. 
Eight times in six chapters, the word signs is used to describe the saving power of God, his, the creator over his creation. Take this one in Exodus chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh that I may show these signs of mine among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. It's the sign that points to something else. It's like if you're going west on I-70, you get to exit 203 to pull off on to Highway 9 and go into Breckenridge. It's not the sign that's the point. It's what the sign points to, the destination beyond the sign. It's the same thing with the signs and wonders, a word that we find used with the word wonders all over the scriptures. So we fast forward to the New Testament four times in Matthew, four times in Mark, four times in Luke, but 11 times in in John's gospel, we find this word sign used to refer to the miracles of Jesus. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 2, the first miracle that he does, he turns water into wine. John summarizes it like this. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's much more than him doing something nice for someone who happens to be hosting a party, a wedding, and have run out of wine. Fast forward through the book of John at the end of the ministry of Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, after his resurrection, John summarizes the entire ministry of Jesus, his preaching and his teaching and his miracles with these words in John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Other signs, he picked these signs that culminate in his resurrection. Let's keep going. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. More than just acts of compassion, in a broken world, the signs of Jesus point to the one at the center of the scriptures. Jesus Christ the king who is Lord over heaven and earth. Setting. Acts of compassion in a broken world, sure. But the point to his identity, the, the main character, the hero of your story and mine. Setting characters and plot. Now, as I said a moment ago, briefly, a good movie trailer tells us just enough of what we need to know about a movie that's coming out without telling us the whole story. You know, there are always those commercials you watch about a movie or a show that's coming out and you like, feel like you've watched the whole thing. I don't need to watch the movie. You know, a good movie trailer gives us a glimpse of the story, the, the plot, and you know, says at the end, it makes us wait and says, you know, coming soon to a theater near you, opening Friday, February 12th. That's what a good movie trailer does. Now, I want to show you a picture, a picture about waiting. Uh, I've, I've shown it to you before. This is a picture of our son, Adam, a couple of years ago. He went to preschool down here at our father. Uh, you know, you may not know this. I know you're here on a weekend, but every week, 
200 kids walk in and out our doors. They learn about Jesus. Thousands of kids over the last few decades have come to this building when you're not here in this room to learn about Jesus. And so uh, it was Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, and uh, Adam made a little placemat. They got laminated. Adam is thankful for, and I'm so proud of this. If you can't read it in the back, it says, Jesus who is coming home. I have this placemat on the bookshelf in my office. Like, I know that normal people like hang artwork of their children on the uh, refrigerator. When you're a pastor, you hang theological discourse from your children in your office. Yes. And then a couple nights ago, just this last week, I was putting Adam to bed. Uh, He's seven now. I think he's four in this picture. And he said to me, Dad, when is Jesus coming home? So I'm tired of waiting. <laughs> Seven years old. And I said to him the same thing I tell him every time he asks me this question. I said, well, you've been waiting seven years, right? He said, yeah. And that's a long time, because that, that's your whole life, right? He said, yeah. And I said, well, guess how long I've been waiting? And he said, 54 years. <laughs> Which, you know, I, like, I know I'm bald, but I'm not that old, you know. Uh, I'm actually 39. I'll be 40 in a couple of months. And I said, you know, uh, how about Grandpa Jack? You know how old he is? My grandpa, he's your great-grandpa, Adam. He's been waiting 96 years. You think seven is a long time. How about 96 years? Everyone who's in this room has at least one thing in common. That for our lives, for years and years and years, for generations, over centuries together, we've been waiting for Jesus to come back home. Because when he comes back, he will peel back the curtains of history. And he will enter this broken world in which we live. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess as the identity of Jesus will be revealed to all people from all times and all tongues and tribes and nations will bow down and worship him. And every day until that day, until the day when the curtain of heaven is torn open once again and Jesus re-enters creation in this broken world that he made, every day until that day, the acts of mercy and the acts of compassion in you and in me give the people around us a glimpse of what Jesus will do when he comes back and makes this world the Eden that we once had, that we lost, that we long for in the depth of our soul. Together, everyone in this room is waiting for that day to come again. And I can't wait. 39 years seems like a long time. Seven years seems like a long time. No matter how long you've been waiting, 
That what the scriptures do is they give us enough of the story to make us long for the day. In a sense, you might say they tell us the whole story, but they tell us only the first part of the story, the story that goes on and on forever, and the chapters that will follow his return when this world is the place that our hearts long for it to be. And that's something about the plot. A sneak preview of the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, the king of creation. Do you see, my friends, that that his miracles back then, they're much more than just acts of compassion for you and me, for people who live in a broken world, that they show us, they point beyond themselves to him, his identity, and show us what it will be like when he comes back. They're a sneak preview in the present. That's what they were then, But in closing, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what about now? Because maybe you're like me. And there are a number of things that you find yourself praying for, knowing that you don't really deserve them and wondering if God will ever answer that prayer. Maybe there are a number of things that, like me, you just figured the answer must be no, and you've probably stopped praying for those things. And what about when the answer seems no, or it seems like it's wait, or just what he's up to in the world around us, his ways seem hidden. Well, before we close, I just want to talk about two very simple, practical things that we can do today as we're thinking about if this is what God is up to in creation, how about now? And the first thing is simply not to give up. To keep praying. And to know that As a son or a daughter, you don't have a right to receive perhaps what you're asking for, but you have a right to ask for the thing that you're asking for because you're a son or or daughter of a good father. And if the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary in Luke chapter one are true, then with God, all things are possible. Don't give up. And if the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter three are true, where he says he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine, don't give up. Continue to pray and to call on God and to say, Lord, I admit that I don't deserve what I'm asking for that I haven't done anything to earn this but I'm your son or daughter and I have a right to come to you in boldness and ask you for more than what I deserve because I belong to you and I have access to your throne of grace don't give up that's number one and number two to look in the right places now it's really tempting for me to finish a story about miracles and sermon and to tell you a story that's big and inspirational, that moves you to be more bold in the way that you pray. You know, look how God came through the life of this person, and therefore you can pray to God, and maybe he'll come through for you like he did for that person. It's tempting for me to do that, but I'm not going to do that. Because I don't think the extraordinary things are the best places to look for. It's under the surface in the ordinary things. It's in ordinary water where God combines his powerful name 
It's through ordinary water, but with Father, as Father, Son, and Spirit, he entered the story of your life and gave you a new identity and made you a son or daughter of a good father, and he changed the trajectory of your eternity and wrote a new ending for you, a good ending that goes on and on forever. And when you came through the door, you got something just like this, bread and wine, ordinary bread and wine, sure, but combined with his promise to be present, he says, this is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. This meal, when you take it, forgives your sins, strengthens your faith, and gives you a glimpse of the day when you won't have to settle for a piece of bread, a sip of wine, which are sufficient, but give you a glimpse of the day when you will have a feast laid before you in heaven, and you won't have to settle for seeing a glimpse of Jesus perhaps in bread and wine, where he is real, where he is present, you will see him face to face, and you will be connected, masks off, with the people you love, who you will hug and hold, the people you love who have gone before you in faith, who are with Jesus now, but again, most of all, who you will see face to face, Jesus Christ himself, and you won't have to settle for a piece of bread and a sip of wine, though they are sufficient. Ordinary, sure but combined with his promise to be present. Ink and paper, ordinary, sure. But combined with his promise that these words are living and active to convict and to comfort and to shape you into the person that he is forming you to be as his follower today. These things on the surface appear ordinary. But with eyes of faith, we look at things that are ordinary and know that God can do extraordinary things through ordinary things. And he can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Don't give up. And look in the right places. Because Jesus, our King, rules and reigns today. In the name of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning. Amen.